All right. Um, this morning, we're going to set aside our study in the Canons of Dort. We're going to uh, try to, we, we've got a couple of ideas that, we, that all came together, and we've got to try to resolve this. So here's what happened. On Sunday night, we started working on, uh, we were supposed to look at a couple of verses in Luke 12, which began looking at basically an overview of most of the chapter, which led to some big questions. Then on Wednesday, studying Luther's catechism, we ended up with the same kind of question or same kind of problem. So you put all of that together, that we're going to have to come back to that and kind of work on it. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to start by, uh, I'm going to read from a book that I was reading late last night or this morning, whatever time, I don't know, time is irrelevant. Um, and uh, because this really kind of, brings this kind of problem to the forefront, but we're going to look at the problem a little differently. Um, but I think, I think hopefully we can wrap up, we can try to bring all of this together to reach some kind of conclusion. I don't know if we're going to have answers, but hopefully we'll come to some kind of conclusion. All right, this is from chapter one in this book. It's called A Broken Gospel, which I think is an interesting title. It's not well written, but it does bring up some important uh, questions here. It begins this way, life never goes as planned. No matter how spiritual you are, horrible things will still happen. It's as if Jesus doesn't fix everything. Now, if we stop right there and think about that, in this church, you're used to me throwing out those kinds of challenges. You say this in other churches, you would already get people mad in the pew. To imply that Jesus doesn't fix everything is almost blasphemous in some circles of Christianity. He goes on, to, the writer goes on to say, I wish this wasn't true. And I agree, I wish it wasn't true. I, I, I mean, I wish J Jesus did fix everything, but it doesn't appear to be the case. They go on, regardless of how frequent or intense your prayer, how long you fast, or how many scriptures you memorize, family members still die of cancer, relationships disintegrate, and love goes unrequited. All true, correct? No matter how much you pray, how much you study, family members are still going to die of cancer, relationships are still going to disintegrate, love's going to go un unrequited, and we could list a number of other things. Now, this, this author goes on to say, Growing up, I was raised to be a, he's got in quotation marks, a really good Christian, close quote. Words I now see as horrible theology. Learning how to trust God and submit myself to a greater will than mine, but it's all been with the hopes that life would go well. Now, there's the first clue. Please let me read that again. Growing up, I was raised to be a really good Christian. Words I now see as horrible theology learning how to trust God and submit myself to a greater will than mine. Now that sounds fine, right? You're, you're taught to try to be a good Christian. You're learning how to trust God and submit yourself to a greater will than yours. All sounds good, but here is where you can tell something wasn't quite right. But it's all been with the hopes that life would go well. In other words, I was taught to be a good Christian to trust God and submit myself to a greater will so that life would go well. Or if I do this, life will go well. At least better than without all the religious effort. In other words, if you don't have all the religious effort and you put in the religious effort, the, the understanding is life would go better with the religious effort than it would go without. That's... The argument, all right? This author goes on to say, This idea, this teaching, has been extremely disheartening to me, as you can imagine. Like a bubblegum machine, I was faithfully inserting my quarter, hoping for God's best gumball, and many times not even getting one. Now, you're right there, you can kind of see the, there's this, there's this implied agreement, right? I do this, I get this, all right? My life hasn't necessarily looked any better than people who weren't trying as hard as I was to be good. So I thought 
So I thought I had, I, so I, I thought I just had to do more, work harder, serve more, give more, study more. Ugh, I'm exhausted just thinking about it. Still other people seem to be getting richer, better cars, better houses, beautiful spouses, successful children. I can't but wonder if God doesn't want me to have the cattle on a thousand hills. Doesn't God want me to be a bright light shining for the world to see? Then why isn't God taking away my depression? For the tired person sitting in the pew, it's easy to feel like you're never doing enough. There's always something more you could be doing. And you're tired, but you don't want to leave or tell anyone. So you just sit in the pew praying for some kind of breakthrough. I believe this is the point where people leave the church. And usually it's for good. Like no turning back, no turning back at all. I also believe it's for good theologically. Because I believe people are being sold a broken gospel and no one's got time for that. Now, goes on in the book to say a lot more that, you know, we could talk about, but you get the idea. Now, uh, Jesus doesn't fix everything, okay? It was uh, recommended to me by an atheist. Um, and so, the book makes it, is making a challenge. Now, you have to kind of read between the lines, because again, I don't think it's very well written, but there's, a, there's an implication here, and this is the point I want us to make sure we get down on paper and we have to think about, all right? There is, and we've talked about this numerous times because uh, I've, I've struggled with this my whole Christian life, but this is really going to fit into our Luke 12 problem and some of the other problems that we're working on. So let's think about this. There is a Christianity that is being sold, right? It's the Christianity that's being sold. It's the Christianity that's being promoted, right? And then there's reality. The Christianity that's being sold, if that Christianity that's being sold doesn't, doesn't fit, work, or is connected to reality, then there's only a, it's only a matter of time before the people who bought the gospel that was being sold, the Christianity that was being sold, there will come a point if they have brains and think. Now, there are some Christians who I don't understand how they know, understand these problems. But if you think, at some point you wake up one day and go, wait a minute, this is what I was sold. This is reality. The two don't work. So they're... That, Thinking people then will say, then Christianity was wrong. Now it's not because, it, now here's the issue, what they believe Christianity was, it's because of the Christianity that was sold. We've all, in a sense, bought a form of Christianity. We all were given certain things that were like, they're just implied, this is the way Christianity works. And sometimes we never question to go, wait a minute, that's what I'm being sold. I don't understand, whenever I raise these questions, usually Christians get defensive and they get uncomfortable and they get mad and they want to argue. But I'm always like, calm down. Your issue is not with me. Your issue is with a thing called reality. I'll give you the scripture that... Anytime anyone hears me uh, offer my interpretation of it, Christians get furious at me. But it, it, I don't know why they get mad at me because it's not my, it's not my fault. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Everyone here should know it. Should be able to quote it from memory. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll just give you one example. Second Corinthians 5, everybody knows what verse? 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All right. Everyone's been sold that verse as being a part of Christianity. When you became a Christian, according to the way the teaching goes, what happens? You became a new creature, and what else occurred? All the old things passed away. Boom. You're new. Old things passed away. Then what, what, what do you begin to discover not long after hearing this? 
Well, the old things still seem to be present, right? I still have sinful desires. I still sin. I, well, where did all the old, what old things left? So you're, you're told, hey, you became a Christian. All the old things are gone. All the old, well, did they go? And then you're told that they went, but you got to get rid of them. Well, wait, did they go or did they not go? Well, they went, but you got to get rid. Right? Any thinking person who's been within Christianity for two seconds should go, mm, I'm, a, I'm in church with a lot of people and I see a lot of old things. Right? So I, we, we challenged that verse, did we not? And I, I offered a completely different interpretation that this is the way we are to perceive people. That as a Christian, I'm to perceive you as a new creature and to view the old things as being gone and not holding it against you. That's my... Now, whenever I offer that, people are like, oh my goodness, you don't believe in God. You don't believe the Bible. You're an atheist. I'm like, well, I, I think that your Christianity you sell doesn't work. How many statistics do we need to show? Christians do this. Christians do this. Christians do this. I mean, how many statistics do you need? They study the church constantly and like, well, the church is not really that different than the world. I mean, divorce, this, this, adultery, fornication, uh, teenagers pregnant out of wedlock, da, 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 you know. Well, and so then, so the, those who get mad will say, well, none of them are Christians. Well, then who is? Eight people? And a bunker? Okay. okay, somewhere? Okay, right. where are they? So that's the kind of thing I'm saying. So let me make this very clear. The Christianity that quote-unquote is sold has to be a Christianity that, ha that takes into account reality. Agreed? Now, the Christianity is sold has to take into account reality. It has to. And so many times we sell... And, and 2 Corinthians 5 is just one of many verses... Let me give you another example. I was listening to this on the way here and almost wrecked the car. Okay, because I shouldn't listen to Christian radio while driving. Right? There should be a warning. Please do not operate uh, moving vehicles when listening to Christian radio. It's dangerous for your health. Okay, but um, Christians love to talk about God is our protector. He protects. He protects. He protects. He's protect. He is our rock. He's our refuge. He's our shield. Nothing can nothing can harm me other than what God allows. He's my shield. He's my defender. Right? Christians say that all the time. And I don't know if you saw the news article uh, yesterday. Uh, Becca sent it to me, and friends from Nebraska sent it to me. They're talking about how churches all over the country now are, you know, training uh, church members to uh, carry guns and have guns in case there's a mass shooting that, you know, everyone in the church can whip out their gun and put three bullets in the person. Okay. Now, A, the early church never would have known anything like that because they were attacked and didn't fight back. So that's crazy. But B, while you're sitting there saying God is your protector, you're pulling out a gun and putting three bullets in the person. Who's doing the protecting? You are. So why are you saying God is your protector? Now, if you don't mean that he's your protector in that way, then don't say that. But we sell that, right? And then we act like he's not the protector. I mean, I, was, uh, I had an atheist who sent a picture. It was a, a group, uh, some, some church. They were singing a worship song, and I can't remember the words of the worship song. It was up on the screen, and it was like, you know, God is my defender, ever-present help in times of trouble. You know, he will rescue me from times of trouble. They're all, and so it showed the, from the, it was a picture from the back. Everybody in there had their hands raised, showing there, and then all throughout the church, guess what people had on their hips? Guns. <laughs> so the atheist is like, what a joke. Well, what am I supposed to say to the atheist? Well, you just don't understand. If you, if, you, if, you, if you looked up the Greek and the Hebrew, you would understand protect doesn't mean protect. But that's not the way you're selling it. See, what you sell has to have some connection to... Yeah. Now, I know even raising these questions, the only people who get mad at me will be Christians. Because I'm not supposed to say these things. But I just think we have to think... We have to see the, the weird contradiction, right? Which, what is it? Well, the reason I'm raising all these questions is because of all the problems we discovered when we got to Luke chapter 12. So go to Luke 12. We'll do a quick review. And we'll get, we'll get going, all right? Luke chapter 12.
We started out, we outlined Luke chapter 12. We broke it down into a number of sections. We didn't do the whole chapter, but we got to where we needed to go. The first section goes from Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Does anybody remember? Luke chapter 12, verse 1, 2. Luke chapter 12, verse 1, to what? To verse 12. Luke chapter 1, verse 12, to uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 1, to verse 12. All right? That's section 1. And what did we call section 1? What did we call section 1? There we go. Fear God, not man. Right? Don't fear men. Or, uh, yeah, don't fear men. Fear God. Fear God. Don't fear men. Get the basic idea. All right? That's the basic concept. And what's the, I'm not going to teach the whole thing. Simply put, he starts off in Luke chapter 12, telling them to beware of what? The leaven of whom? The Pharisees. Basically, don't give in to the influence of the Pharisees. It's a negative influence. It's hypocrisy. Well, if they stand against the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the day, what are they going to have to be prepared for? Opposition. Right, and guess what? Some people don't like to stand against the people who are in charge. They don't like to stand against the authority. They don't like to stand against power because uh, that places them in conflict. So some people cave under, under those circumstances. He's saying, look, don't fear men. You better fear God. That's the point. Right, everybody got that? That goes from Luke 12, verse 1 to verse 12. Then what happens in verse 13? 13 starts the new section. The new section goes from 13 to 21. All right. Now, what's this section about? Do I? Beware of covetousness. Or we could speak of the material versus the spiritual, right? Spiritual should take precedent over the material. Your life doesn't consist of simply the material. There's something of greater value. And remember the way this happened. Jesus is teaching them. Jesus is sitting there saying, hey, beware of the Pharisees. Now, guys, you got to fear God. You don't fear man. You got to fear God. Don't fear man. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this, while he's trying to give this great spiritual truth, someone's like, um, I'm sorry, I've, I've got a question here. They interrupt the teaching to say what? Make my brother divide the inheritance with me. I love the reality of this because as a preacher, sometimes you think you're trying to teach all these spiritual truths and then all of a sudden you'll have someone like, what? What? Like they just interrupt and you're like, what? Or after the sermon, they say something. You're like, that's not even what the sermon was about. Like, what? Well, I don't understand. But because this, it, guess, and, I, and I did this in a, a devotional I did this week um, on, the, on the app, is... Um, Preoccupation with material things blinds you to spiritual truths. When you're preoccupied with the material, he does, does he care about the spiritual truths Jesus is teaching? No. What does he want? Money, 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 right? That's what he wants. He wants his money, okay? That's what he wants, okay? That, when we are preoccupied with the material, the spiritual doesn't matter. Hey, we, hey, don't give me some material, uh, don't give me some spiritual lessons, give me some, some lessons about how to get money. That, that's what they want, all right? Let, let's focus on that. So, that goes all the way down to verse 21. Now, verse 21 ends with a very important concept, which is what? Where does she be worrying about your treasure? Spiritual treasure, Right? So he that layeth up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. In other words, what should you be focused on? Spiritual treasure and being rich towards God. That's what your focus should be, not material. Spiritual over the material. Right? Now, I love this because this guy, he, he teaches this guy, and then immediately Jesus seems to realize, okay, wait a minute, there's someone here who's placing the material before the spiritual, he answers the question. He immediately in the next verse, what, is it, what does it say in the next verse? All right, now he returns to the disciples who he was teaching in the first section. This starts the third section. All right, the third section begins in verse 22. All right, now I love this because he seems to realize, wait a minute, there's a preoccupation with the material here. All right, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to use this, I'm going to use this question, and I've, I do this sometimes, 
uh, here, sometimes I don't realize it, but like someone will say something and I'm like, I don't know where that just came from. So then I will divert my whole sermon to teach a principle related to the question. I'm not going to try to answer the question. I'm going to use the question as clearly the question shows a complete missing my point. So I'm going to have to go make another point <laughs> because I don't know what everyone's thinking. Jesus, in a sense, doesn't say, okay, you want to talk about material versus spiritual? That's what you want to talk about? Then what does he do in verse 22? He looks to his disciples and said unto him, take no thought for your life. Or what would be another translation? Don't worry about your life. Don't be filled with anxiety about your life. Well, wait, how did he get here? Okay, well, he's already told them, fear God, not men. He's told them the spiritual over the material. Now he's going to put it into, now he's going to take the concept and put it into practice. And the practice is, if you truly, truly place the spiritual over the material, then it has to have real implications in your life. And the way it should work out is how? You shouldn't be filled with worry and anxiety. Now, verse 22, where, we're gonna, where we stop this section, we, I made an argument to stop the section in verse 31. All right? Because verse 32 and 34 is the problem. All right? Now, let's work through this section in verse 22. We need, we need to ask tough questions. What is Jesus saying? And what is being promised or not promised here? All right, everyone ready? All right, let's look at verse 22. What's the first thing that's being, what's the first principle he definitely wants us to get? In verse 22, what's the first principle everyone here should be able to see, even kids who, who can read can be able to figure this out? Don't worry. The first thing he says is do not be filled with anxiety. Right? He is speaking against anxiety and worry. Everybody got that? That's the general principle. Right? No worry, no anxiety. Now, what Jesus does with that general principle is where we start have to ask some tough questions. Now, we got to make sure we don't sell a Christianity that doesn't do what? That's what we're going to have to figure out. Now we got to figure out what Now if Jesus sells that kind of Christianity, we're stuck. Everybody understand that? But if Jesus isn't, then we don't take what Jesus said and make it say something it didn't. That's that's the thing. So here we go. The first the first principle is simple. Do not worry. Do not be filled with anxiety. Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. All right. Three things he doesn't want you to be worried about. What are they? Life, food, clothing. Life, food, and clothing. All right. Now, here comes the million-dollar question. Everyone's heard sermons on this, right? Yes, everyone. Okay, unless you just don't listen to sermons, okay? They're preached a bazillion times a year, okay? Every, everyone preaches these sermons, okay? This is like the go-to kind of sermon to go to because you're, you shouldn't offend too many people, hopefully. I always find a way to take the not, most non-offensive thing to, to offend everyone, but only because I ask real questions, all right? Because I'm not going to get everyone just pat you on the head and said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. And don't worry about your, your clothing. Just go on with life. And everyone's supposed to say amen. Okay, what are we going to have for lunch afterwards? Okay, I don't do it that way because that's just garbage. My thing is, it's wonderful to say that. What does that mean? I mean, those are three, uh, three, three basic things, right? Life, food, clothing. Life, food, clothing. Those are like <laughs> the very basics. Now, what does it mean not to worry about those things? Now, everyone's going to have a different answer. Well, it means don't being you know, preoccupied with. Well, we already kind of dealt with no being, being preoccupied with the material in the previous section, right? So we could have something to do with that, but what does it mean not to be preoccupied with? How many, how, how often do y'all think about, I don't know, food? Yes? 
Well, but I'm saying we, we think about it. Now, does that equal, is that a violation of what he's saying? I mean, you, you wake up every day, people go to work. Why are you going to work? To provide food, clothing, and your life. Now, the fact that you spend most of your time doing that, other than sleeping, sleeping and work, dominates, I mean, that's just all. I, oh, that, that's where, that's where, the, I think that's where the, the philosophy mind doesn't, uh, I don't have any relation to normal people. That, I would, I would rather do that than live a life dominated by work and sleep. And it's like, that's not living. That's just living to get to the finish line. That's just, that's just existing. I, like, I can't, oh, who wants to live a life? I go to work, go to work. When do I go to work? So that I have food and clothing, so that I can sleep, so that I can get up and go back to work. And why am I working? So that I can have food and clothing and shelter, so that I can sleep, so that I can get back. And then, oh, maybe I'll throw in a little extra time to do a couple of things that I want to do. Who, who wants to live that? I'd rather step in front of a train. Like, that's not, oh. Oh, that's not living, okay? Oh, that's, that's miserable, okay? That's miserable. So, and y'all looking at me like, well, what's wrong with that way of living? If that's what you think living is, you're, you're content to sit inside the cave. Someone needs to get you out of the cave. That's not living. That just seems like a horrible existence to me. All right, so, but that seems like, that seems like to being consumed. Now, is that worry? I don't know. When does, put it this way. When does pursuing it, thinking about it, turn into violating the scripture. These are questions I bet you none of you have ever asked. Because everyone would claim, I don't really worry about it. Because you know you're not supposed to. <laughs> so you say you don't worry. <laughs> it's such a game. Man. Like you see what you want to see. You see like, okay, I'm not supposed to worry about it. So I, I can do everything. I can, I can think about it, talk about it, but I'm not worried about it. And I was like, well, it sounds like you're preoccupied with it. I don't, it's an important question. Now, don't be worried about it. Now, here's where he goes. Verse 23. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. In other words, what's another way of stating that? Your life is more than what you eat and what you wear. Or what would be another way of stating it? What was in the previous section? What does he say to the, to the, to the man who asked the question? Yeah, there's a specific verse in the previous section you really may want to see. So he says something about your life. Right. Life is more than what you possess. Everybody see that in Luke 12? What, what verse is it? I don't have it in front of me. 15, right? Luke 12, 15. Everybody see it? He's returning to that same concept to his disciples. Your life doesn't, is, is made up of something more than simply what you eat and what you wear. There's more to life than the material thing. All right, so far so good. We, so that just means we have to have a different perspective on life. Okay, we can work that in, right? That my perspective should be spiritual over material. I would question if, if any Christians really do that because we spend most of our life focused on what? No material. I mean, there's no way to get around that. How do we balance this out? I don't know if anyone has a good, a good answer. Now, next verse. This is where the problems get a little crazy. What does he want you to consider? The ravens. For they neither what? So, now stop right there. Now what is, he, what is he saying? What is he saying about the birds? Okay, now this, this gets a little questionable, right? It would be easy for me not to have to worry about what I wear if I don't have to work for it. I'll just have to go get it. Okay. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. I'm not putting words in Jesus, right? I mean, this is what Jesus said. He, what does he want to everyone to look at? The ravens. For they neither sow nor reap. 
which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. Fact. God, they don't have to do anything. God feeds them. That's, that's the fact he, facts he wants to understand. Do you know what, he's, uh, what Jesus is referencing here? No, he's referencing a scripture. How about Psalm? Uh, there's, there is an Isaiah passage that I think, I, th I think you're thinking of. How about Psalm? I think 147.9. I think it's 147.9. Look at it. I think it's 147.9. Is, is it, do you have a cross-reference in yours? Okay, all right. Psalm 147.9. I think that's what Jesus is referencing here. I mean, we don't have a direct quote, but it just seems interesting. Psalm 147.9. Someone read it out loud. All right, God gives the food, right? Okay. It's also in Job 38, all right. I just know the Psalm 147 top of my head. All right, so he's giving the basic idea he's saying is that God gives what? Food to the animals. Right? That's the implication. You don't need to worry about what you eat, what you drink in your life, right? And how do I know this? Look, people, let's go outside. Let's look at the birds, do they go to work? Not the way we think of it. They just go and gather. Do they have storehouse or barn? No. Are they worried about their, their investments? No. God provides. Do they store up and get, go to the you know, bank and put everything into a safe? No. They get what they need. Correct? Okay. Now, Here's the key. What does he want you to uh, understand after you consider the ravens? It's the end of verse 24. Of more value. What's the implication? What's the implication? He's going to take care of you. That's the implication. Would you agree? That's at least implied. Hey, don't worry about all of these things. Consider them. You're more value than them. So the implication is he will do more for you than he will for them. And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? All right, that's, that's basic logic, right? In other words, you can worry all day about how tall you are. You're not going to get taller by worrying about not being taller. Right? That makes, that's basic logic. Okay, that's, that's good. Right? If, you then not, uh, if you then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take you thought for the rest? In other words, if you can't even take care of that, which is an insignificant thing, then why are you worried about those significant things like life, food, and clothing? Seeming to imply that all the worrying about it is not going to do what? Right. He wants us to consider something else. He goes from the ravens to now what? The lilies. How they grow. They toil not. They spin not. Again, what's the basic implication? He uses the same thing for the ravens. They sow nor reap. The lilies don't do what? Toil or spin. Implication? They don't work. All right? And you say, and I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Implication, God takes care of birds and flowers. You're more valuable than birds and flowers, so God will take care of you. That's the implication. Everyone gets that? All right? Now, this is, how is this typically preached? You've all been in church long enough. You've heard enough sermons. Not in this church, but how is this typically preached? God will provide. God will provide. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. God will take. It's preached over and over and over and over and over. And it's preached as what? 
A promise? Almost as a what kind of a promise? Unconditional promise. Except that you do need to have faith, right? But it's basically that it's a guarantee. Agreed? All right. Now, this is the way it's preached. And it's preached as being applicable to whom? At least to all Christians. At least to all Christians. All right? Agreed? Okay. And because of all of this, right, he tells them, don't do what? Seek not what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Don't, it's weird. Don't even seek what you shall eat or what you shall drink? What does that mean? Don't seek for it? I'm going to be seeking for it when I get out of here. I'm going to go somewhere to find food, okay, or I'll die. I'm hungry right now. Hey, what happens when my wife goes out of town? I lose 900 pounds, okay? All right. I mean, obviously, I don't lose 900 pounds because I don't weigh that much. But, you, you know, a little hyperbole is always good to make a point. Okay. And then maybe she'll hear this and feel bad. All right. Which probably she won't even listen. But that's a different point. All right. Verse 30. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your father knoweth that you have need of these things. That's what everyone in the world look, wor worries about. They're worrying about seeking what they're going to eat. and what. That's what they worried about. You don't need to worry about that. Why? What does he say? Well, the end of verse 30. Your father knoweth what you have need of. You don't have to worry about it. He knows what you need. But rather, what should you do? Seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Okay, what things? Well, the only things it can reference is what? Life, food, clothing. If I seek all, so what do I need to be focused on? Seeking the kingdom of God. All I need to do is seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to me. We just need to dedicate ourselves to seeking the kingdom and everything is taken care of us. Is that not how it reads? Now, some will say, but, 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 and I will hear all kinds of, no, 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 no. That's not what it means. You're taking it too far. There, there's all kinds of qualifications they'll want to throw on there when you start stating it this way, Right? But Jesus does something really interesting. What does he say in the next verse? The next two words. Wait, what are, what are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? What's the, remember this is just reading comprehension. What would lead them to fear for Jesus to step in at this point and say fear not? What would be the fear? There we go. He just told them to worry about those things. And so they have to be thinking, if I don't worry about these things, we're going to die. <laughs> Correct? Fear not. All right. Now, okay, you're waiting now. Okay, Jesus is going to explain it, right? Okay, whew, good. Jesus is going to step in and fix all of our problems because he's just going to go. You see what I just did there? The name of that book is Jesus Doesn't Fix Up. You see what I just did there? Okay, there. That was a little pun there. All right, all right. He's going to step in and fix all of this because he's going to say, oh, guys, you misunderstood. Okay, I can see the worry on your... I'm not saying that you're just going to get all of this stuff. Okay, I'm just saying that God will, you know, make it available and you've got to figure out how to get... Like, you know, he's going to somehow balance this out. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Jesus is not going to balance it out. He's going to create us even a bigger problem. Fear not, little flock. All right, guys, it's okay. Calm down. Now, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All right, now, in the Jewish mind, they're probably thinking an actual physical kingdom. I think that would be fair to say, right? They definitely, a spiritual kingdom's not going to do any good when he just was talking about what? Food and, and clothes, right? A spiritual kingdom is not going to help them too much, correct? Right? I think they, hey, like, hey, it's okay. God's going to ultimately provide you a kingdom, all right? Now, verse 33 is where all of our problems began. What in the name of bubblegum is going on in verse 33? What does he say? Sell that ye have. Sell that ye have. Does anybody get the NIV? Sell, say. Sell your possessions. Now stop right there. Okay, wait, 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 wait. What? Wait, what's going on here? 
Now, in, in the narrative, it makes perfect sense, right? Don't worry about everything and don't fear because I'm going to provide for you. So by implication, what can you do? Sell everything you have. Why? You don't need it. You don't need it. Sell everything you have. Is that what it says? In the, in the narrative, it makes perfect sense because he's told them, what should they be more concerned with? Spiritual over the material. Right? What, should, what else should they not be concerned with? They shouldn't be worrying about life, food, or shelter. They shouldn't be worried about it. So if they're not going to be worried about it, he sees in their face they're afraid. He gives them a promise of a kingdom. And then he says, you know what? To show you what I mean, sell everything you have. If you sell everything you have, what are they going to ultimately have to do? Trust in whose provision? Now, here's what drives me absolutely to the point of atheism. Pastors will preach all day, every day, verse 22 to 31, and they go all in, do they not? God's going to provide for you. Don't be, don't, don't be fearful. Don't worry. Don't have any anxiety. You should trust God. God's going to feed you. God's going to clothe you. He won't meet your... Greed, but he'll meet your need. And he will take care of all of your needs. And they will preach it and preach it and preach it. And everybody will say, Amen. Great sermon, Pastor. Everyone says, We want to break things, right? Everyone says that nobody ever bothers to think about, Wait, how does this work? But they always seem to stop and not read what verse. 33, because 33 would be, Okay, here's the way it works, everyone. Don't worry about what God's going to provide you. Here's what I need everyone to do today after church. Sell everything you own. Have you ever heard that preached? No. You know why? Because for some magical way, what happens in verse 33? It's not for us. Wait a minute! How was the previous section for us? In fact, many commentaries keep 33 as a part of that previous section. They don't even break it off into a new section. How can, the, how can you outline the section from go to 22 to 34 and all of a sudden make everything in 22 all the way to 32 for us, or 31 for us, 32 and 33 is not for us, how, who's doing hermeneutics? Who, who, where did, Christians need reading comprehension. I'm telling you, before there's discipleship, there should be reading, right? I should be able to, I think this is why, how salvation should work. You become saved, and then the first day you come in, I give you, I give you at least one or two works by Shakespeare. And if you can't figure that out, then you're not a Christian. That, I just, no, you're just done, okay? That's the way it should be where. I know my way is a little radical, but, but I mean, if you can't figure that out, then you're up the, you're just, you're done, right? If you can't interpret that, that's why, like, I, it's, that's why I don't understand. Christians have to understand, our, God gave us a revelation in what form? So if you can't read, then you're, you can't, you're done. But no one ever asks this question. What does it tell you to do? And then do what? In other words, sell and do what with it? Give it away. In other words, you're not keeping it. Because <laughs> you're like, okay, well, if I sell everything I got, I can probably make it for a while. No, you give it all away. Why are you giving it all away? The implication is what? You don't need it. Because God's going to? And then what else does he go on to say? Provide yourself bags, which wax not old. Well, that's kind of a weird kind of bag. What is he referring to? What kind of bag? A bag that never gets old? Well, a different kind of bag, and he's going to be speaking of what, what else? A different kind of treasure. A treasure 
in the heavens that faileth not, where, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. In other words, what is he speaking of? Being rich towards God, a spiritual treasure. That's what, for where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. That's a, this is a radical teaching. Now, we Christians have played such games with this, it drives me crazy, right? It drives me crazy. The narrative, let me make this very clear. Where does the narrative leave everyone sitting in this room? The narrative leaves everyone in this room with one option, and that is to sell everything that you have. Don't, because you, and don't fear, because you can sell everything you have, give it all away today, and God will be providing your supper tonight. That's the way the narrative reads. Agreed? Yes? Now, I, did, I, I didn't bring in any commentaries. I just read the text, and I just used basic reading comprehension. Every Christian who's ever read this should have had the same crisis. I don't know how Christians don't have these problems. I've been bothered by this forever. Now, here is what we have to do. That's how the text reads. Now, if you sell a Christianity this way, even though Christians try to get 33 and 34, 33, 32 and 34 out of it, right? They try to get out of it, and they say 32 to 34 doesn't apply. Let me ask you a question. Verse 33. Did the early church believe verse 33? Give me a, a biblical example where the early church believed verse 33. Find it to me. Find, find it. in Acts chapter 2 from 40 something just the top of my head I, I could be wrong my memory is not perfect there we go Acts 2 what 45 they did what the previous verses, they have everything in common. They had everything in common. In other words, everything belonged to everything, right? Like a community, like a, a commune. They sold their possessions, and then what did they do? They gave to anyone who had need. That's how the early church did it. Now, I remember everybody's like, we need to go back to an Acts kind of church. Right? I love when charismatics say that. We need an Acts 2 church. Really? Because you have a big building and everyone drives up in nice cars and go back to their houses. You don't have an Acts 2 church. But maybe, or what kind of houses were they meeting at? Right? Exactly. Right? Good, good, that's a good, good catch. But they, that clearly shows... Right. Right. So they sold it and then, I guess, took care of everyone who was present. But they, still, there was an idea of trying to sell everything. Agreed? Okay. So they took that to some, to some level. They, they took it as somewhat serious. Now, now, here's what we have to do. Go back to Luke 12. Are you ready? Now we're going to work through this logically. Right? Oh, we're going to run out of time. We'll probably have to use the next hour for this, but that's okay. Here we go. Everybody ready? All right. First thing we have to do, we have to look at the Christianity that is sold and see if it meets reality. The Christianity that is sold by most churches is that God is going to provide for you. They, may not, they don't try to answer any of the tough questions, but God is going to provide as a guarantee. All right. On Wednesday, I asked everyone to go home and look up the statistics of how many people starve to death every year. Right? I know Stephen did. I don't, I'm not going to put everyone else on the spot, but everyone was supposed to do so. I even posted statistics in the chat. So you even, even if people have chat should have had mine. Okay? But do you remember your numbers, Stephen? A day. 24,000 a day from starvation.
Yeah, I think it was 17 is the statistics you have. So the number fluctuates. Sometimes it increases, some decreases, and it can, de it can increase and decrease based off things like famine, uh, war, different things can cause the numbers. But the point is, people die every single day, and a shocking high number, no matter what number, number you want to go with, from starvation, meaning that they were not provided for. That's reality. So to say God's going to provide for everyone, you got to slow down because, see, if you tell people that, many Christians will sit in the pew and say amen and hop on social media posting that nonsense because they don't want to deal with the cold, hard reality that, yeah, if you, have, if you talk to a smart people person, they're going to go, oh, yeah, God provides. Okay, um, here uh, today, 24,000 people starved to death. Where was your God? Now, when I say that, Christians get mad at me. But don't get mad at me. You're the one selling he's going to provide. You show me how he's providing for 24,000 people who starve to death today. You're like, well, I don't care. He provides for me. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad you're a very good Christian in the way you think. Right? Okay. That's, a, that's not a good answer. So, what are our options? Can we, can we agree that we got to be very careful selling a Christianity that says God's going to provide for everyone? Would everyone agree that that would be a very dangerous kind of Christianity to sell? Doesn't meet reality. Right? I mean, we can just start driving around Abilene saying, hey, put your sign down. God's going to provide for you. So, you know, I don't know why you need a sign. It's all good. Right? Just don't worry about it. And I don't know, and, and, if I, and if I take Luke 12 too seriously, I don't know why all of you have houses and jobs and why aren't you not just seeking first the kingdom of God and start worrying about all that stuff? But I, all of you have jobs who, who seem to spend a lot of time there. <laughs> right? Yeah? And, I, and I think if I told you to sell everything, y'all would look at me like I'm crazy and y'all would not do what I ask. Right? Okay. Right? Okay. <laughs> So, right, I mean, like, you know, so, so what do we, so, how, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, we'll just create a monastery, okay, I said a Victory Baptist Church will be the, you know, Ovalo Monastery, we'll go up, turn into monks, okay, and just live here, okay, right, and we'll do liturgy of the hours seven times a day, we'll go back to the old way, not, not, not four times, five times, we'll do seven, okay, right, yeah, and we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll grow food or something, I don't know, You're like, like, you know, but that's, you can see why some in the early church did that. Many of the early church sold everything they had and joined monasteries. And we were like, like those Catholics were dumb. They didn't know what they were. Yeah, you know, the Catholics were like, this is what the Bible says. <laughs> right? We're supposed to sell everything. And we're like, no, those dumb Catholics, they don't know anything about the Bible. Yeah, okay, right, whatever. And Protestants are such biblical scholars. So, woo yeah, I mean, they read the Bible all the time. Give me a break, okay? So I can't stand that nonsense. So, um, so, we, we, we got, so can we, let's say this. Selling it, we got to be careful how we sell it. Agreed? Now, I say be careful. Please note, I'm not drawing a conclusion yet. Because we got to figure out how the Bible is going to either answer this problem or solve this problem. I'm saying that we have to be careful. When we say God's going to provide for you, we got to, we've got to be able to make sure we explain what we, that means. Diane listened to a sermon by Piper where he tried to explain this, and it was doublespeak. Basically, God will provide, but you still may die of starvation. <laughs> because God will only provide, but will bring him glory. So there's, there's a condition to the provision. He's going to provide what he wants you to provide, and he may not provide anything for you because I guess then your starvation may bring him glory. That's kind of, that doesn't really answer the question. And do you really want to promote a Christianity that way? God is glorified in 24,000 people who starved to death today. You, now, I know some Christians are just go all hard and like, well, yeah, God does everything for his glory. That's, that's right. Well, okay. That you say that here when you're looking in the faces of 24,000 people dying. I hope you would have a little bit more compassion and not say such nonsensical. It's usually young men who will say, oh, God, God does everything for his glory. Who cares if people starve to death? Okay, just stop. Just stop. Okay. Now you're trying to act like you're all big and bad and it just comes across as foolishness. Let's have a little bit more thoughtfulness to it. We're talking human beings. Creating the image of God that you're supposed to care about. And it should bother you.
It should. All right. So we have to figure out. So I'm, let's, I'm going to end this hour by just saying, all, because, and I want to make this very clear, I'm not giving us any answers yet. Here's what I wanted to accomplish. I wanted us to feel the weight of the problem in Luke, 20, in Luke 12. I think I drove the weight of the problem in, right? And the problem comes from what? It comes from reading past 31, right? right? The minute you get past 31, you kind of go, wait a minute here, there's a problem. And when you look at the context, 33 makes perfect sense in the narrative. Why do I need to own all of this stuff if Jesus is going to take care of me? Owning stuff just makes me things I have to worry about, and things I have to worry about takes my attention away from spiritual things. And what does he want me to focus on? And why can't I focus on spiritual things? He's going to provide the material. I'm good. That's the implication. So I want you to feel the weight of the problem. If you've never felt the weight of the problem, I'm sorry, the only person you can blame is yourself because you should be able to read it the same way. I, I didn't do anything unique in my reading. Just basic reading comprehension that you would read any other book. All right? So you've got to learn to read that way. Now, we do also, so that's the first thing. I wanted you to feel the weight. The second thing I wanted to do is I wanted to challenge you on this concept of the Christianity we sell is a Christianity that has to meet reality because if it doesn't meet reality, there's, there's thousands of people who while you will sit in the pew and be content, others won't be content. They're going to go, no, I'm telling you, the twins, is this their last Sunday? All right, they're getting ready to go to, to Angelo State, right? Okay, when they walk on that campus, now they may hide in their rooms and not speak to people, okay, but if they speak to people, they will find people who are very hostile to the Christian faith. They will find professors there who are very hostile to the Christian faith, right? And they're going to ask these kinds of questions, And most Christians will just get mad and defensive and get their feelings hurt and go, <laughs> I'm being persecuted for Jesus. Oh, shut up. Okay? Okay? No, you're not. You're being asked real questions about your faith. If your faith can't answer real questions, then you've got a pretty pathetic faith. Learn to think. All right? That's not persecution. If, they, if the professor comes in there, rips the Bible, throws it on the floor, and spits on it, and says, all Christians are dumb, that's not persecution. That's simply someone offering a very strong opinion that you don't have to agree with. So don't take it as I'm being attacked. I hate Christians who whine about being attacked. I would be like, you know what? Let's talk. But if you can't answer the tough questions, then that means there's, your faith, you never made your faith your own, and you did not prepare yourself for the tough questions. We shouldn't be afraid of the tough questions. These are tough questions. And guess what? If you try to tell that professor, God loves us and he will provide everything we need, he's probably going to come up within about five seconds some statistics to show you how many people die every day from starvation. And you know why? Because that's a legitimate argument. It's a legitimate argument. And it's not, and it shouldn't be the atheist driving the conversation. We should already be asking these questions ourselves. There should be no question an atheist can ask you that you haven't already asked the te text yourself. And whenever you, I have a Christian come to me going, hey man, this atheist asked these questions and I don't have the answer. Because you don't care enough to know the answer. You should know way before they ask the question. You read it, don't you? When I read Luke 12, I had problems as a teenager. I was like, God, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Make sense? I want you to fill that problem. So, bottom line, don't sell a Christianity that doesn't meet reality. Don't sell it. If Jesus sells that kind of Christianity, we got to figure out what? Why? And then how to answer the discrepancy. We have to, because Jesus is not going to provide us the answer, is he? No. So we got to figure out. when it comes. Now, we still got to figure out how to interpret this. Because no one here is selling. Everyone in this room has already made an interpretation about verse 33. And guess how you, what you interpreted? There's not applicable for you. And what did you base, what was your hermeneutic to come up to that reason? 
it doesn't match the reality you want for life. That's not a hermeneutic. <laughs> That's not a hermeneutic, okay? Now there, that's something we're going to have to get into. Okay, right. Yeah, now that's something we're going to have to get into. Now that's a, now that's a textual argument. That's a hermeneutical argument, right? Because she's saying it doesn't match other scriptures. Now that's a textual argument. That's the kind of argument we need. But most Christians are just like, I'm not doing that, so it doesn't apply. That's not, that's not a hermeneutics. That's not Christianity. I don't know what that... But saying that it doesn't apply to other scriptures, now that is something we're going to have to work on. And I think that's the key to it. So we'll stop there and then we'll, we'll have to come right back to this in the next hour. But I think we, I, I, I done, uh, I, I worked on chapter 12, verses 1 through 12 and verses 13 to 21. I did that um, on the app this week because Sunday night didn't get recorded. And so now we just finished uh, to 34. So now all of that's done. And now the next hour is all about finding solutions. Right? So you better start thinking and start looking up scripture now before the next hour. Because it's going to be up to you to find the answers. All right. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, I am thankful that you've given us your revelation in written form. However, I confess on behalf of all Christians that many times we fail to actually read what you have written for us, what you have put down for us, and we've treated it in a very disrespectful way. I pray that we would take what you have said more seriously and that we would be willing to ask the tough questions uh, because if our faith is worth anything, it, it can handle the tough questions. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,